Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Poolside Perspectives Podcast. I am Kevin Woodhurst, and with me is my good friend, Mike Farley, and we're so glad you found this podcast. Together, we have been homeowner advocates in outdoor living and the pool industry for over 30 years. So we understand the challenges you face creating your backyard paradise. We know your curiosity is not enough to ensure your success. So on this podcast, we're going to talk about the design process and practical steps to help you create that space. We'll have some fun mixed in with it, some aha moments, and this is no fluff. No one has time for that. So we're going to get serious and get very particular about all of these topics. Whether you are a new homeowner with your first remodel or a seasoned homeowner competing your last dream home, we are here to help you end up with what you dreamed of. From pools to patios, pizza ovens to pergolas, porcelain to pumps, pool party to permits, ping pong tables to the processes to your paradise. This is straight talk and action steps. Let's get started. Hey, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Poolside Perspectives with Mike Farley and Kevin Woodhurst. Our goal here is to do a number of things. Obviously, we want to educate you. We want to entertain you as much as we can. And I want to show you the way, if you will, as to how to go about buying a swimming pool and how to extend the outdoors of your property from the indoors and to create an outdoor living space that you want to spend an awful lot of time at. This is what we've been doing for the last 30 years. And our intention is to expand and give you as much information as possible so that when you get around to doing this, you can make a very sound decision. So today here, Mike, on episode four, we are going to be talking about site analysis. That's boring. Yeah, but it's important. It is very important. And so because of its importance, we hope that you will listen because this could be the information that could save you from making a really bad decision. It could also help you make a really good decision. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, it's all about what's on the ground in your property. They're all different. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we understand your space better than you do. If that's done properly, then the word change order, which sends shivers down most people's spines, because none of us like to give them unless you're a builder that makes all your money off of them. And there definitely are those out there. So what we want to do is understand it, everything that's there so we properly create it. Because I have people all the time that are like, I want a pool that looks like this. And I'm like, that pool's on hillside that's going downhill away from the house. And your yard goes uphill away from the house. So there's no way to create that space on your property. So your piece of property is unique and has to be addressed so all the pieces fit together. And that has that's what I call site analysis. So actually, it's one of the things that I enjoy most on the project. So I'm really joking about the boring comment. Yeah, the site analysis is, I enjoy it too, but you've got to spend some time out there. I'm typically spending two, three hours out there because I'm droning the property. I am taking two, 300 pictures, I'm measuring everything that I can think of out there. And then you've got to find all the stuff on the property that you're going to have to have access to. And it's a lot of stuff. If you haven't even bought a house yet, and I'm going to, I'm going to get off into the weeds here a little bit, because this is, I believe is important. I said, I was a realtor for a lot of years and my wife is also a realtor. But when you go to buy a house and you think you want to have a pool, or you know that you want to have a pool, you got to be thinking about the orientation of the house. And how that's going to affect that living space out there. And I think a lot of times people are so excited about buying a home, they overlook a lot of things. And one of the things I believe that helped us over the years, because I built homes, is just there's a lot of things into home building that if you don't think of while you're building that are really expensive to add later on. And so this process that we're talking about and the whole premise of all of this is how do we best prepare people for having a pool? And if you haven't bought your home yet, you're in a good position to have all this information at your fingertips or to your ears so that you can hopefully find a place that's going to be best suited for what it is that you want and not have some of the challenges that we've talked about. If you're already in the house, you have what you have to work with. And if you're there for the long haul, again, you have what you have to work with. But there could be a difference in hundreds of thousands of dollars just based upon the property. So I had a client had me go out and look at a piece of property because they were going to start the house. I was like, where's it at? Let me look at it. 
And that yard had over 20 foot of elevation drop. And you went down the street and I said, you need to understand that the retaining walls on that one piece of property are going to probably add about $50,000 in cost on this. And this was years ago versus if you buy the lot that's farther down the street. When they found this out, they immediately went to the home builder and said, hey, can we switch lots with this one over here? Yeah. So it's really important to understand all the things that you're getting into. Sometimes trees are a big deal, depending on the preservation of large trees that are on a property around here. Some cities will fine you tens of thousands of dollars to remove a tree. And when you have four or five of those on the lot where you think you're going to put the swimming pool, that that could be a big cost. So just to be aware of all the things you're getting into. So I guess we'll go down the list. Certainly, some of those cities require that you turn in a tree survey to tell them what you're doing or not doing with the trees. Right. Some cities, even going back 30 years ago when I worked in Northern California, they had all the what was called heritage oaks. They did aerial photography. So they knew what was on your property before you even walked in. And you, if you submitted something and they're like, you didn't note the heritage oak that's right here. I'm sorry, you can't put a pool there and you're not allowed to remove that tree because they wanted to keep the character of an area. And we were talking about trees that are 18 inches across, 24, 30 inches. They're massive oak trees that have been there for 100 years. That's yet something else to consider is the trees and the locations. Are they protected? Are they not protected? As long as we're on this topic, what would be some of the other things to consider? I mean, one that comes off the top of my head really quickly is the access into the backyard. We've got to be able to get into the backyard to dig the pool. Can't just crane a bobcat over the house. You still got to get the dirt out of it. It's just not feasible. So you could do yourself a favor by understanding all of this. So if you're buying your first house or your second house or your third house, or even getting ready to sell your home where you already have a pool, hey, let's jump in on it and have all the information so that you can save yourself some money. And a lot of hassle and probably a lot of frustration more than anything else. Yeah. So on the access, there's a couple of things that you want to think about too, is sometimes the access can be opened up by a friendly neighbor that'll allow you to take the fence down in between the two properties. And so that's somehow times how you get the access. And a lot of times the access is only needed for the dig. Sure. Uh, but sometimes the access is needed throughout the project. Like I'm doing a project right now. And we're bringing in massive boulders. And so we have to bring in sky tracks and all kinds of equipment to set. So we have to have access to drive trucks into the backyard. We're probably going to have a crane to set some of the stuff. So it becomes a, a big deal, yes, on how you're going to get on the property. And I've had people that say, oh, look, I've got enough space in between me and my neighbor. The neighbor's fence is built on a retaining wall. And if I drive a truck along the edge of that retaining wall, I'll blow that wall out. Then my truck goes rolling down the hill along with my bobcat. So sometimes you think you have enough space to drive through, but if there's retaining walls on both sides, if you're on a hillside, you have a retaining wall on the uphill side and a retaining wall on the downhill side. And basically you can't maneuver around those as much as you think you can. Same with the trees. You can't drive over the drip line of those trees without potentially damaging the roots and affecting the long-term health of the trees. Correct. Again, what you want to know is what's the kill zone around a tree? So they're going to vary depending on the age of the tree and type of the tree. And so a lot of times I recommend people to also talk to arborists because you want to understand the health of the tree. So I had a project that I'm doing recently and there were five big oak trees on the job. And I said, we can't put the pool in that you want with these five trees. One at least has to go. So we have to select which one we're going to take out. So I suggested they take out one and they're like, no, that's the coolest tree. I don't think we want to take that out. And so I had a, had an arborist come in because the worst thing you want to do is design everything around, okay, we're going to keep these four. And then you find out later on, this one was fixing to die anyway. Sure. And with arborists, then they can also come up with ways that you can help minimize damage, root pruning, fertilization. The other thing we've done is come in and put heavy layers of mulch several feet thick. To provide some cushioning. Cushioning because we had to drive over the root systems of the tree. So you can minimize damage to trees. 
I'm known by a lot of people as the tree hugger. I do a lot of projects that the reason I get the job is because I worked around the trees and figured out how to keep them all alive because I grew up in West Texas in Lubbock where there were minimal trees. And so being a landscape architect major and growing up in Lubbock, so when I bought my property, I was like, this is really cool. We have 83 oak trees. And my wife was like, counted them. And I was like, of course, I want to know how many I wanted to work with. I try to work around trees a lot. So that becomes a real big deal. Now, some people are like, hey, that tree's going to cost me money. It's gone. But one thing also to think about is sometimes you have limited access. And if you've ever had to take a big root ball of a tree out with a bobcat, that can be a big adventure. Oh, for sure. For sure. You probably put something else just a second ago. You said you like working around trees. Yes. This is a question for you. Have you ever been to a job site where the homeowners want you to work around something? Maybe it's a tree, maybe it's something else. And you're just scratching your head because it really limits. So if the tree could be removed or could be relocated, rather than designing an entire backyard or pool around a tree, how do you handle that? How do you handle it? Most trees that I'm dealing with are not going to deal with relocation. And most of the, I work with a lot of post oaks. That's what's around here in North Texas. And my wife calls them scrubby oaks because they're not beautiful. Like a, they're native. And so sometimes we live in, with 83 oak trees on a half acre, we live in what I call the oak. Mm-hmm. So some of them only four or five feet apart from the next one. So in fact, we removed some so they could actually grow better. But anyway, you just have to understand the, and you want to go through, okay, what's worst case scenario? We're going to design around this and it's going to die. But you want to make sure that now what I do and the success, I have about a 95% success rate. So most of the time. It's relatively high. What I've worked around. Yeah, I try. But if you're knowledgeable, it works. Now, the worst thing in the world is trenching that most people don't think about. They think about, okay, I can't put the pool there. I can't put decking there because I'm going to remove oxygen and water to the tree roots, but they don't think about the trenching that they're and cutting through the roots. But yes. If you're going to run the gas line and the electric line and all the plumbing lines, and you're going to be two feet off the trunk of the tree, you should have just removed the tree. I explain to people when I do plumbing, I'm going to have probably a four foot wide ditch. And they're like, you got to be kidding me. How many pipes are going to be in there? I don't think people really know. No, they have no understanding how many pipes, because we don't stack them on top of each other. Mm -hmm. We lay them next to each other, so it's easier to service if there's ever a problem. If you had them all stacked into a pile and the bottom one had the leak or the crack in it, good luck. Good luck, yes, Mm -hmm. sir. So the first thing I do with a site analysis is I'm going to locate the tree. I'm going to figure out the size of the tree, which figures out how big kill zone I can work with. And then also I got to establish the elevation of the tree because I can't change elevations around the tree. Otherwise I kill them as well. When I do that, I have to work the design around all those features to make it work. Now, my own personal pool was literally designed by trees because I took out two so I could get my pool in there. But all the radiuses that I had, oh, I just gave it away. I'm a freeform. I figured that. Oh, so a lot of my clients think I do beautiful modern pools. My must. But you built that pool a long time ago. About 19 years ago. And it works for what I wanted and my yard and my site analysis. It's critical that you understand all the things. If you're going to work around trees, pros and the cons and the cost that's associated. Sometimes there's a lot of costs associated working with those trees. And some people that's real important. And other people like, I could care less. Mm-hmm. I had a guy the other day that was like, I want to do this. And I'm like, but you'll have to remove these six big oak trees. He's like, I don't care. I've got another 25 behind them. Sure. Mow them down. So mowed them down. So everybody's different. But there's also a cost associated with removing trees or relocating trees or dealing with them because you can't just cut it off and leave the root ball in there half the time. You just, there's just a lot of things to consider. So to answer your question, most of the time we're either going to leave it and work around it or we're going to take it out. We're not going to the cost of transplanting, usually you can put a new one in. It's probably a better specimen than the old one for mm-hmm. a cheaper. Sure. And there seems to be plenty of trees here. There is plenty of trees here. Although on some parts of the country, it may be a red oak or a Japanese maple or something that was planted 
and it's beautifully shaped and they'll come on the tree spade and actually take that tree and relocate it. So I've dealt with that when I was in Northern California. Yes, but I've never dealt with it here in Texas. But I'm sure some of our listeners will have specimens that could be done. So this episode is all about site analysis. You know, what we're looking for when we come out at the site is a combination of everything we've talked about. And what else are we doing, Mike? The other thing is I've got to understand the utilities that are on your property. Mm -hmm. Some of them are very easy to figure out and some of them are very difficult. So the first thing is if I'm going to have utilities, I'm going to call before I come out on my appointment and have what's called the uh, utility location. So they'll come out and they'll mark where your cable line is. They'll mark where your electrical line is. They'll mark where your water is. They won't mark where your sewer is. So that's one that's not marked. But then when you plot all this information, you can design, because sometimes people are like, hey, this is the place to put the swimming pool. And I'm like, we're going to cut the water and electric line and the sewer line by putting the pool. And they're like, this is where the pool needs to be. Repair them. And to relocate an electric line might be three, five, seven thousand dollars in cost. Mm-hmm. Water lines are usually fairly low cost. Sewer lines are somewhere in the middle. We'll move those things. Okay. Sometimes we can't find the sewer line. So we just are prepared when we dig the pool that oh, we may have to put a temporary line and get a plumber out there and get it rerouted around the day of the excavation. But you want to know these things up front because you don't want to find out the electrical line has to be relocated right before they dig the pool. And now we're going to be delayed another six weeks for them to get out there and and move that line. Not good timing. Not good timing. So there's a cost issue. And some people, it's like, if I know those things are there, just move the pool over 10 feet so I don't have to deal with them because the pool could be over 10 feet and I'm going to be just as happy. Those things up front, you can make educated decisions. So why, Mike, do they not mark the sewer lines? They come out and they have to find something that's metallic underground. Old houses have no tracer wire around that's the right. sewer lines. Sewer lines. So at least here in Texas, they don't put tracer wire on sewer. Even on newer one, new I, houses? I don't see. I haven't seen it. Huh. So now your gas line, I forgot the gas line. The gas line always has a tracer line. You can find those things underground. Now, one thing you can do is you can look for clean outs where the water comes into the house. There's usually a clean out. A lot of times people know where that's at. Sometimes an older house, that's a real adventure and find. Usually buried in some planter somewhere, covered up. Yeah. Someone didn't like the white pipe, so they painted it black. And so it's even harder to find in the landscaping area. And then there may be a, a clean out up near the street. And so you can connect those two dots and get an idea of roughly where the sewer is. And some yards... The sewer goes to the front, so it's not an issue at all. Mm-hmm. A lot of the newer subdivisions, everything goes to the front, but your older ones, a lot of times there was an alley behind and everything went to the alley. That was the utility easement that you're dealing with. Sometimes today we have easements on all four sides of the house. Sure. And so there's plumbing all over the place and people assume that's not going to be any going into their yard, but it leaves the easement and comes up to it. And I've had yards where... The electric panel was on one side of the house. They brought it in from the other side, so it goes right across the middle of the yard from one corner to the other, and that's where the electric It's really disappointing when you tell a builder you want a pool, and that's what he does because that was the cheapest thing for him to do. And another thing with electrical lines is overhead electric. Oh, for sure. With those, you have to be a certain distance away from a safety standpoint because water and electricity don't mix real well. No, they don't. You don't want that pool pole to reach up and touch one. Rather shocking. You don't want to be a live wire. Yes, no. You'll be a dead person. The hard thing about those is it's totally random, not random. It's a calculated distance on how far you have to be away from those overhead electric lines based on the height the electric line is above the ground and the amperage it's going through it. And so here in, in North Texas, we call the utility service they come out and will tell us, okay, based on the height of that, the voltage going through it, you have to be certain distance away. I've got a project right now signed by a landscape architect, and he designed the pool 10 feet off the property line. And I said, well, we need to check about those lines. It came back, pool had to be 15 feet away. And so in some cases, you have 
a couple of options with an overhead line. One, you can take it underground. Now, that happens with a lot of the lines that come up to the house. People take those underground. But when you're dealing with a whole subdivision to take a main power line underground, that's a very expensive cost. So what you're talking about before that was, say you have an older home, you've got overhead power lines in the back. Putting the pool in is going to be a problem with the service line that comes into the house, which is connected to a mast on top of the house, which is usually located right above the panel or in close proximity. You're talking about bringing those lines and taking those underneath the ground and routing them out and away from so you could maybe utilize that space. Right. So that can be done. But the main lines that connect transformer to transformer and the whole neighborhood Take that underground would be a very expensive situation. It'd be a sizable project. We had a project here recently that they allowed the lines to be wrapped. And I'd never heard of this process before. The overhead lines? The overhead lines in the back alley. Never heard of that either. They, they were allowed to wrap them. And by putting this material around it, they were allowed to be closer so they insulated it so that if something metallic were to touch it, you wouldn't get a spark or an electric shock? I, I don't know that's the case, but this was something that it's the first time I've ever run across it. So again, you need to talk to the utility provider to make sure you understand what your options are if you have power lines. Now, the nice thing is about power lines is typically they're in an alley. And if they're on the neighbor's side of the alley, you're usually not going to have a problem. True. You're far enough away. But when they're on your side of the alley, it's where you have a problem. And folks, the reason why this is important is because, generally speaking, NEC 680 says that any power line that would drop in your yard, your pool's got to be at least 10 feet away from it. That's the minimum. Now, to your point, there's some other particulars that could impact your particular yard above and beyond that. And the other side of it too is when you're cleaning a pool, you're cleaning with a pole. Pole's gonna be 12, 16, 20 feet long. And so now you're out there brushing down your walls, cleaning your pool, brushing your pool floor down. And if the back of that pole comes into contact with an electrical line, it's gonna shock you. And so the industry wants to keep all electrical away from the pool and create a safe situation so you're not out there electrocuting yourself or worse. So you have the utilities. What are other things that we need to think about or from a site analysis standpoint? Obviously, the architectural elements of the house, how we're designing this pool or project, and is the project going to be just a pool or is it going to be a pool and an outdoor structure? How are you tying all that stuff in together? The soils, which we've talked about, big deal. All those items that people need to have in order for us to really put together a plan together for them. And here's the thing, is you don't have to have all of that to begin with, but it's just going to create more time needed to come up with the stuff. So if you're listening now and you start creating that folder for that pool you want to build in a couple of years and start accumulating this stuff, you're going to make it a lot easier on yourself. And additionally, if you're just buying a house, now's the time to find out all this stuff. There's a couple of things that to me are part of the site analysis that aren't just in the backyard. One of the things is views. The views that I have from inside the house looking out are very important to a lot of people. Absolutely, because if you can't enjoy swimming in the pool, at least you can listen to it and see it and look at it. Something about looking at that water. So one of the things I always ask is, what's the most important view to you? Where are you get a lot of times it's where you spend the most time. Although some people, a very important view is when you walk in the front door, they want to see something and they want to wow their friends when they come in, and so they want something spectacular on that view sight line. Sometimes. The master bedroom's a real important view because they have a sitting area and they like to hang out there in their quiet time in the morning or the evening. And so they want to look at something. And other people are like, I go in there to sleep. We never open those windows. And so we could care less what the view is out of the master bedroom. So this is why we're asking so many questions. Yeah. We're trying to figure you out. I don't think I want a USB plug and plug into anybody's brain and see all that stuff. But we have to ask a lot of questions in order to get to the point to where you can come up with some solutions. That's really what we are, is we're solutions people. Right. The other thing is you have views that come in, okay, from the neighbors. There's views that you want to screen, which are important. So when Privacy. I, yeah, I'm going to look at 
where my neighbor's views are coming in. And that's where we get into sometimes things that are totally outside of water and structures, but we may think about key landscaping items that may be put in for screening purposes. We want to leave space to do those things if those things are important. That is one thing that blew my mind here. Being from Phoenix, spending 30 years in Phoenix building pools, and every single yard has a block wall around it. Right. It is completely private. You can go in your backyard and you're in total privacy unless there's a two-story house behind you and you're a fishbowl. Here, that seems to be not the case. That's the rarity, not the... I have just been flabbergasted, if you will, by multi-million dollar homes and ridiculously amazing and beautiful backyards and you have zero privacy. And some people that's not a problem, Mm -hmm. but some people it's very important. I've done water walls, structures with solid walls in the back and I did one today and the whole thing was the roof pitch on the shed structure, that roof structure that we were doing with a solid wall was to block out the view of the neighbors behind them which we successfully did. Mm -hmm. But when I'm going in is I've gone in and I plot where those are. Uh, I have a friend of mine that I was really amazed when he did his 3D modeling. He modeled up the houses that surrounded by looking at Google Earth. And so then he could actually give them a very realistic feeling of, okay, this is what they're seeing out of this window. Right. This is what they're seeing. And now they can't because I fixed it. So nicely done. Yes. I thought that was really amazing solution views from the outside. And also there's good views that you want to appreciate and enjoy. Got a project I met on yesterday and they have a big area behind them, but the fence was done seven feet tall, solid wood. And so what I talked about was actually putting windows in the fence So we could basically look through certain key areas where their primary views and line of sight were, create window frames with some ironwork so it still met code. Creative. That they could then borrow the view that's behind them and enjoy it. The other thing that you can borrow is the neighbor's trees. And if you're working on privacy, they may have already set up to screen you out too, but you don't necessarily have to duplicate it. You just have to fill in the gaps. In between what they've done. So a lot of times I'm locating trees that are in the neighbor's yard so I can make sure I understand that. The other thing that I don't want to do is put my pool equipment right next to the fence and their monster oak tree is six inches over the property line and I just cut all the roots of that putting all my pool equipment. So that's something also to think about. But yet that's another thing that we're looking at on the site analysis is we've got to figure out where we're going to put the pool equipment. And obviously we need to know where we're going to put the pool And I'm sure most people would realize this. The farther the pool equipment is away from the pool, the more money you're spending on stuff that you don't see. And for some reason, people don't like paying for stuff that they don't see. But the other thing is you have to think about, which we haven't talked a lot about too, is elevation Mm -hmm. in the yard. Grades are very important and you want to establish those. You make sure you know where everything's at. But that pool equipment and the grade you set that at can sometimes be a big service issue. One way or the other, you think about it. I'd like to expand a lot more on grades. That'll be good. We can do it next time. Yes, we can do it next time. But the pool equipment thing is a big deal because I don't think that most people recognize how much pool equipment goes on a modern pool. If you built a pool 30 years ago, you had a pump and a filter, a little two by three pad, a couple valves, not a whole lot, really easy. Now we're talking multiple pumps potentially multiple heaters, a gas heater, a heat pump that heats and cools the pools, ozone systems, control systems. There is a lot that we've got to try to find a place to put this stuff. And there's a way to install it so that it works best. It's not like this pool equipment normally takes 18 feet. We can just jam it all together and make it 12 feet. A process and a configuration that is set so that it works and it's easy to service. Got to be able to get around the pool equipment. Pool maintenance is important for the life of that pool. So you don't want to make it where it's impossible. I have one real quick question for you. I have a job in McKinney and a small house and both sides of this property to get into the backyard, there's a four foot gate. On one side, two AC units right inside the gate. And so you've got about 18 inches to squeeze by the AC units 
and the fence to get into the backyard. The other side is open. Again, it's four feet into the backyard, small. In Phoenix, we can't block the entry into the backyard because EMT, if they've got to come out and rescue somebody, they have to be able to get a gurney into the backyard. So you can't just stack this stuff in the access areas of these backyards when they're really small. No? So certain cities will require you to put all the utilities on one side so you can still have that access. There was an issue with a fire too long ago in that city, which then they changed the code. So you AC units, pool equipment, everything has to be on one side. So that's how some cities deal with it because of close proximity, again, of these monster houses with seven-foot side yards. So how would a homeowner, if they had that question, how would they find that out? Do they call the city? Again, most cities don't dictate that. It's becoming an issue. It's becoming more. Well, especially as the yards get smaller and the houses get bigger and there's just no place to put anything. One thing that's important for you to understand is if you have gas or if you have propane, because when we set up everything for the heaters and things like that, we have to know the differences between the two. The other thing that comes into play is a lot of times I've found they don't have either one. And so you have to figure out you're not going to bring natural gas to them because that'd be too expensive. So that's when they have to put a propane tank in. I was working on a job last year where the guy brought natural gas from a mile away. Wow. That's a commitment. You think? Yeah, just a little. So you can get propane tanks and you can set a propane tank in a neighborhood, but generally you're going to have to have that propane tank 10 feet from the house and 10 feet from the fence and 10 feet from the pool equipment. So sometimes that's a little bit tricky in how you work all that math out. Yeah, because there's differences between the sizes of tanks and how they're installed and where they're installed and whether or not they have to be tethered to something or not. The other thing that I found out is you can't rent a tank that's below the ground. You have to buy that one. And most people choose not to have a tank above ground, so they want to bury it, so they have to purchase a tank. But it's a way that you can then get run on a heater without electricity because a heat pump will not heat a pool or a spa in this part of the, you can't heat a spa in this part of the country with a heat pump. It just won't work. I don't know if it will anywhere. It doesn't work in Phoenix either. Okay. Well, it's plenty hot there. It's too cool in the wintertime. There's not enough humidity in the air to get that energy exchange to get the, the spa water temperature up to 104 degrees. So right. people are going to be disappointed in how warm the water isn't. So usually the gas, there will be a meter at the house or in some older areas, the meter's at the street, sometimes the meter's in the alley. But if you have a propane tank, you're walking around looking for the lid, usually. If you can't find that, then they probably don't have propane. So some people, when they purchase the property, they don't know. So you have to investigate a little bit. So one of the ways that maybe I guess they would know, maybe the obvious is what it is, but if you have a gas range, gas water heater, or any gas appliances in the house, but you don't have a gas meter, then more than likely you've got a propane tank buried somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Mystery solved. There we go. I've got another question. Actually, Spider had a question for me, and Spider won't talk unless we talk to him. <laughs> so, Spider, ask what your question yeah, is. Y'all have been talking a lot about the outdoor living, all the different appliances and stuff. And one of the things you mentioned was an outdoor sink. And I was curious what the difference was between a sink that you're putting in outdoors and one just in the kitchen is. Okay. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. An outdoor sink, I think that would be a great thing to have next to a grill. But there's some challenges to overcome with it because typically you're going to have to be tied into a sewer. You can't just drain it out into the yard. Correct. You've got to have a water supply. Do you want hot water? Do you want cold water? How, what kind of sink? There's a lot to consider there. That would be a great thing to have. So one of the things that when you just say tie it into a sewer, that sounds simple enough. Yeah. Is that a simple thing? No, there's nothing simple about it all because that sewer connection might be, again, 100 feet away, 150 away. Now you're adding a grinding station. And why do you have to grind? Do you not? If you're going to have a garbage disposal in there, wouldn't you want something pushing that stuff to the sewer? I guess it's different than a toilet. Sewers works on gravity. Absolutely. Okay. I don't think a lot of our homeowners may understand that. And Are you saying the stuff rolls a certain direction? Uh, usually. Yeah. Okay. 
if your yard and your sink is under the foundation of your cabana, the chances of you being able to get it to the front sewer clean out are generally very low unless you have a hillside where your cabana is up several feet above the finished floor of your house. So you have to have a grinding and a pump station. Mm -hmm. So you grind it and then pump it up the hill so you can get it out of there. So anytime you use the word warm water or, or hot water, you have to have a grinding right. station. There's a few cities that will allow us to drain cold water out on the ground. So you wouldn't have to have it just go to drainage. So not onto into a sewer system. And I'm certain around the country, there's probably places that allow it as well. Sure. But that would be a difference, I think, to your point about the way that the yard is. If you're on a slope in some parts of the country, it's pretty flat. Right. And it might be a little bit more doable. But when you're dealing with all these elevation changes, that's a big deal. Well, and water itself just in where it freezes, how do you deal with that? So that's a challenge. A lot of times you're going to want to do shut off valves so you can shut everything off in the winter. So it's probably protected. all the time here now after three years ago. Yeah. The, I think great. everybody's a little bit more familiar with what can happen. Yeah. You're talking about the great Texas pool massacre. Yes. The 100,000 plus pools that were damaged or destroyed or had to have all the pool equipment replaced. That created quite the fiasco in the industry during COVID. Yes, sir. So what I tell people all the time when they want a sink, I tell them it's a great idea. So what you have to decide is the value of this sink, which is probably going to cost you north of $10,000. It's the number I had in my head. So paper towels, that's where most of my clients, that's probably one of the most popular asked for outdoor living features that people ask for a spider. But in the end result, almost all of them delete that feature. The one place that it makes total sense is when they commit to an outside bathroom. Oh, for sure. I was just thinking the same thing. Then it's a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you do a sink? Because you've already got to have the water and the sewer there for everything else. A sink makes total sense. Yeah, we did that for a, a project recently in Flower Mound, and that's exactly what, what my thought process was on it, was exactly that. Great thing to have, but paper towels work great too. And I found that to your point about about $10,000, it is a lot of work and it's got to be buried deep. It's one of those things to your point about you're weighing the cost of a particular feature with how bad you want it. So what other things have you run across that we needed to cover in the site analysis? I think the utility discussion that we were having where the sewer lines, where are, do you have a septic tank? Where do those leach lines run? What type of septic tank is it? What limitations do we have based upon the type of setup that you do have? You need to know exactly where the septic tank is and sure. where those leach lines is or how that stuff is being dealt with. Before I was in Texas, all I ever saw were leach lines. That's all I've ever seen too. And then I came to Texas and they start doing these aerobic systems mm -hmm. where they spray the water up in the air, which is extremely gross sounding to me. I would agree. And you have usually they're set out of ways, but what I've found is most cities, you've got the throw of the sprinkler head. Most cities want another 25 feet added to that before you can have any paving or things like that. So I've had some people that have two acre parcels of property and because they had six bathrooms in the house, the septic aerobic system allowed them a 800 square foot space in the whole piece of property where they could put a pool. Right. And so they had no earthly idea when they bought the property because they're like, hey, we bought two acres. We're fine. But they didn't know that these rules came into place on the septic heads. So I think what's important about all of that, especially if you're a homeowner that has not bought a house yet or is in the process of building a house, but I would suggest that it's even before then, is to figure this stuff out. And if you think you're going to want to have a pool, then there's some things to take into consideration before you get dialed up into to buy in the house because I generally what people do is they decide we're going to build a house. They talk to an architect, they talk to a general contractor, they pick a plot out, they get all excited about the house gets underway and then, hey, I think we're going to want to have a pool. And right. then we come in and if we could have gotten in beforehand or would have had a chance to do some sort of consultation or to help them with that process, might have been able to save them some money. Maybe they'd done something entirely different. We both agree it's a big commitment to have a pool. And so with that in mind, it just makes sense to plan for it before the build of the house. I ran across one a unique thing I was still on septic is 
recently I had a subdivision and they were putting in drip tubing. And again, the client thought they had all kinds of room. What they didn't think about is the access that we're going to have to get into the backyard. We're going to tear up their whole drip system for their septic system. So, whoops. Yeah. So that's another one. So that's uh, not going to be inexpensive to deal with either. No. So the point is you could potentially save thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars, if we could get in really early. At least in the planning stages. So you could make, again, educated decisions about this whole thing. And if you decided, okay, I'm fine with a septic tank or I'm fine with this or that. Okay, now we know. So along with the, the septic out there, sometimes there are buildings on the property mm-hmm. and when you work with a building, a lot of times people don't realize that we mark the utilities go into the house, but the utilities that go to the building, those aren't marked by when we have the utilities located. They just mark from the primary service coming into the property, and no one knows a lot of times where that stuff is. So a new stuff here, are they putting tracer wire on sewer lines? No. Really? No. Interesting. Because sewer lines typically in the past were clay. At least they were in Phoenix. Right. So they're plastic now, but in Phoenix, they're tracer wiring that stuff. We can get a read on it with the machine, but you're right. There's no mark. There's no way to really mark it. You're making an educated guess to some degree. And even the people that come out of mark, they won't mark the additional stuff. And so not that close to begin with. Yeah. The margin of error there. Yeah. They're allowed to be two feet off, which is a pretty big margin. If you're in a tight lot in a tight situation, yeah, that could be a big deal. So... It's just something to be aware if you've got the she shack in the back and it's got electric to it, that might be cut and have to be rerouted and or water or any other utilities that are underground. I want to tell a story if I could. Certainly. And it just happened today. I met with some clients and they actually want to do a courtyard pool and it's a really special courtyard. It's really cool, but it's on a zero lot line on both sides. And you have to go through the front entryway and to get to the courtyard. But there's no place to put the pool equipment. There's no place. And they're, we're thinking, can it go in the garage? I, I have done that before. And that's going to be the only way. Yeah. But I think the point there is that they bought the place. They think there, it wouldn't be a big deal to add something into that courtyard. And it's just, I think what happens with most people, they just don't think to ask. They just don't think to understand because they get really excited about the house build or buying the home. And then that just becomes a secondary thing. What else? The the buildings that are on the lot, as you were saying, there's a certain setback from the buildings. There's also, I don't know if we discuss this, usually people are surprised when I talk to them about the fact that they can't have, unless certain circumstances are met, the structure any closer than five feet to a window. So if it's less than five feet, it's got to be tempered. Tempered glass, which most glass that's low to the ground, usually within 24 inches, is tempered. So it's the higher windows mm-hmm. that come into play. Yep. And most of the new construction, it's all tempered. But older homes, that's a, definitely an issue. They don't bring that up. Some cities allow you a one-to-one ratio, which would allow you, if water's like a tanning ledge and it's six inches deep, that therefore you can be fairly close to the house. But yes, the glass becomes an issue as you deal with that. So are you telling me that almost every new home built, now all the windows are tempered on the entire house? The ones on the first floor, because the glass is coming down, a lot of these homes, the glass is coming all the way down to the floor. So yes, that all has to be tempered. One thing too that you've got to figure out is where your water source is going to be. And some cities will allow you to come off of a hose bib or something like that, but most cities require you to go to the water meter. And a lot of times the water meter is a long ways away, usually at the very front of the property. So that's a great point. And the rules here are different than they are in Arizona. And they're likely different in other parts of the country. Right. Certainly, Arizona, we're not experiencing massive freezing of any sort, certainly down in the Phoenix area. However, I have pictures of pools that were in construction that have six inches of snow on them. But it was gone the next day. It didn't freeze. Concern is that, well, there's two concerns. One is the potable water, potential mixing. There's anti-siphon valve that are put on them, but typically in Phoenix, it's just a hose bib and on AWL going straight out to the pool. Here, to your point earlier, we've got to go out to the main water meter and that could be several hundred feet away. Correct. It's an added expense to a pool, but it's a super important one. I personally think every pool should have an AWL on it, an automatic water leveler on it. 
here we have people all the time that call up that are like, I've got a leak in my pool. And we're like, why do you think you have a leak in the pool? And it's, look how much the water's dropped. But they don't understand that you can lose three inches of evaporation in one week in the middle of the summer without a lot of water features. And if you have a lot of water features, then that evaporation rate goes up even more. Sure. And it's astronomical on vanishing edge pools, perimeter overflow pools, perimeter overflow spas, spa spillways, anywhere where the water is relatively shallow, you're going to get a lot of evaporation for sure. And certainly the aeration of the water features, you're you're gaining it there. And any place in the Sun Belt, whether it's Florida or Phoenix or Texas or anywhere, it's just, you need to have it. And so what happens, Mike, when you don't have an automatic water leveler and the water starts drawing down to the pool and it ultimately gets below the skimmer. So with a standard skimmer, what you're going to do is now pull in air. And when you pull in air, now you're going to burn out the pump. Right. So one of the advantages of using a Venturi skimmer, mm. which is what I use, and we'll get into that later on, is... What we use. Oh, yes, that is correct. We both <laughs> use that skimmer. So that gives us an advantage that's not as big of a challenge, but you still want to keep your water level up on your plaster and, and everything like that as well. Yeah, you can damage the pool correct. by not having one. And then if you, you know, here at least you can attach something to a hose bib, but it's not an automatic water leveler. You've got to go out and turn the valve on and then you've got to remember to turn it off I and mean, you could put a timer on it. There's plenty of, I'm going to call them Mickey Mouse ways to make it work, but it's not ideal. It's, it's an important component of a pool is to have an automatic water leveler. That's just my opinion. And it's something that most people don't discuss with the homeowner. They just give them a manual and they're combat is I saved you money. And then if they don't like it, then there's a change order, which the client's like $3,000 for a pool fill. It's like, well, I've got to run 200 feet up the hill under your driveway to get to the water meter and then set everything. Yeah, it could be $3,000. And you want to know this up front because as a consumer, you're looking at these estimates and both of them are going to say that you have a water leveler or not. We're going to spell it out and tell you exactly what you're getting. But from what I've seen, and I've seen a lot of stuff, is half the time, they don't even know what they're buying. They don't even know what they're getting. A lot of times, neither one are mentioned. And so people assume, and that's why they get into trouble, is that, you know their friends got an automatic one, so they think everybody gets one, and that's not the case. The challenge is then you get sideways with the homeowner because they're frustrated that they didn't get one. And they think that possibly that you didn't tell them the truth or whatever it may be. So that's just part of, you know, to me and to us, I believe, is getting the information out there, being transparent about it, being thorough about it, going through the whole protocol of doing this. That's just one of the things. So one thing that's important here that a lot of times people don't think about either is the prevailing wind. Absolutely. So here, and I know in all parts of the country, it's different. In the middle of the summer, the prevailing wind comes from the southwest. It's going to come up. And then in the winter, it shifts and it comes from the northwest. So those are the prevailing two directions. So this becomes, people are like, why is that important? Where you put your barbecue, especially if you got, like me, a big green egg, you know, and there's some smoke coming off that thing. You don't want to put it where... If you put it on the east, the west side of your porch, then the smoke billows into your porch, no matter which direction, summer or winter time, it's coming in. But also, you may want to not block the winds in the summer because you want a little bit of breeze. Sure. But in the winter time, it'd be nice to have some protection from that when you're sitting in the spa. So just to have an idea of the, the general directions. And I know in every part of the country, that's different. So that's what works here. It's a great point, too, because it goes along with some other stuff we we're discussing about the views. Who, who's really thinking about this? You're a consumer. You decide, hey, we want to get a pool and a spa. And so you're excited about it, which is awesome. Call three, four, five, six companies. Everybody comes out, does their thing. But these are the things that need to be covered, talked about, and discussed. Along with the orientation thing, you mentioned briefly when someone was buying a house here, the best backyard facing is east. Oh, for sure. Because then in the afternoon, from noon on, the house protects the whole porch area and out towards the pool and the shadows casted that way. Versus you have the house that 
faces the west, you've got a great sunset to look at. That That is wonderful, but you're going to get cooked yes, you are. until nine o'clock at night by the sun beating in. And so the north has some advantages, but then in the winter, you're getting hit by that. These are all things to think about. Now, once you purchase your house, it's really not an option to choose to switch. But if you were in that, again, purchasing mode or thinking mode, or you get to choose lots and, you know, gee, this one versus this one, they're about the same to me. Hey, pick east facing for your backyard always in Texas. Yeah, they could cross the Sun Belt. Oh, it's a very fair statement about that. Yes, very mm-hmm. fair. Yeah, because the front yards, as you said, it just gets baked and makes it pretty hard to enjoy your pool in the latter part of the afternoon and early evenings. In Phoenix, we typically are swimming in the evenings anyway. And so you're also designing for nighttime. And this is another thing that I don't think gets brought up enough is when you live in areas where it's so hot and the summers are long, you're probably going to be enjoying your pool and spending time in your pool more often than not in the evenings than during the day. And so how do you create this beautiful project in the backyard, but also take advantage of the lighting and and all the night stuff? And there's just so much to talk about. So I got into trouble on a project early in my career because I didn't ask this question. And most people don't. So I now always ask, are there any sacred elements in the backyard? That's a good one. Like a buried pet? So a buried pet was what? crossed my mind to start with Mm -hmm. stone garden so stone garden but i've run into people that have planted plants in memory of someone or sure got a piece of a plant that they rooted off of their grandparents tree and it's in there and sometimes people assume you're not going to come anywhere near that so i'm not going to mention it so please if there's something sacred in your backyard let the person know so they can make sure that everybody stays away from it. Because I had a client that had something in memory of a child was not born anyway. And it was a plant and they took it out when they did the trenching for the plumbing. And the lady was devastated mm-hmm. and it could have easily been dealt with, but it's just something that If there's something sacred in the backyard, please let us know so we can make sure that we protect it properly and we communicate to people to stay away from it. Whether it's just, hey, that's this big, huge specimen tree, please don't go anywhere near it. We should know that, but it doesn't hurt. That's a good one. It doesn't hurt to communicate it. So when I do my drawings, I draw the trees and I've had in past that when they do the drafting, they turned off that layer and they did the working drawings and didn't print that. And I was like, wait, you can't turn that off because that's really important based on all the things for me, the tree hugger, to protect all those things. Sure. So I know you prefer to just take them out and make life easier. Wow, where did that come from? I thought that's what you said last time. Did I interpret just that? Just mow the trees down? Well, you said if there's one in the way, just get rid of it. Or maybe I interpreted you incorrectly. Dude, I came from Phoenix. There's hardly any trees in Phoenix. They're sacred. Oh, okay. I interpreted you incorrectly. My apologies. (laughs) This doesn't necessarily have everything to do with the coming out, inspecting the site, talking about it, but something that has come up many times over the course of 30 years that people get surprised about is we're a pool company. We're coming to build a pool. We're not coming to take care of pets. And so when you're planning to build a pool, you've got to also plan to deal with your pets. And so you've got to have some sort of game plan for that because they can't be outside running around over the place when people are working. But do you ever talk to people about that? Yes, I do talk about that. And I had a client that he's like, the dog won't bother anybody. So we're just going to put him outside and and he'll be fine. And he didn't. And he was fine. However, there are some workers that are terrified of Mm -hmm. dogs and They're like the big mean dog that was on the one that licks everybody to death. He's not mean at all, but you have to understand your dog may not have a problem with people, but sometimes people have fears of certain animals and it's something that you need to be cautious with. It works best for them to have a place that ideally they're not in the backyard while we're doing construction or if so, then there's a base that they're sectioned off. And sometimes people are like, Hey, can you put up some orange? construction fence. And I'm like, that doesn't keep a dog in. Right. Yeah. So you have to understand that as well. There's not 
during the construction process, the gate is open at all times, mm-hmm. whether there's someone there working or not, because the dog can get through pretty much any of them. The pet thing became, or was, and is actually, it's a big deal. People love their pets. We have dogs. I know you guys have dogs. You oh, yeah. actually breed dogs and have beautiful dogs. And your wife, Laura, does an amazing job. I mean, you guys are dog people. My wife's a dog person. I get it. But there's just no way that we can have the crews try to take care of people's dogs. So I think it's just really important as you're planning this out. Okay, we've got two or three pets and how are we going to deal with it? Pool companies are to build a pool. And it's not a couple of day thing. It's long term. I was thinking about that when I was driving in today about really the society that we live in now where there's not a whole lot that you can't get online and order and have it the following day or get it the same day. And building a house takes time. Building a pool takes time. Oh, most definitely. I thought you were going to talk about getting a kennel for the dog. Can we build kennels? I have never done, but I'm sure it could be done. Maybe that's the next trend in out into backyards is really exotic pet entertaining areas and places for them to hang out. Now, I have done a catio. I think that's what they call it. That's hilarious. I've heard that word once and I've actually seen one. And was surprised. That's interesting. Yeah. Back patio with a giant cage on it. And then all kinds of places for the cats to hang out. And a door for them to go in and out mm-hmm. at their discretion so they can experience the wild. That's awesome. So along with the rooms, so the cats have a room, but I need to know what the orientation of your rooms are when I'm standing in the backyard looking at things. And in an ideal situation, I try to prep clients beforehand to ask them, Is it possible that I look at your interior views looking out? They don't feel awkward if I ask to go look at the views on their bed. Some people are like, I didn't make my bed today. So anyway, I'm interested in the view out of all the rooms that are facing the area where the pool is going to be at, which is typically maybe a game room, a family room, the kitchen and the nook and master bedroom. Those are generally the ones that are looking out in the space that we're trying to figure out how all these views work, but it helps for me to snap a couple of pictures when I'm inside the house looking out. It also helps me to see what neighbors' views are looking in from those locations too, to screen some things, but that's helpful for me to understand. Well, I think other things are because your senses are going to be affected by this project in your backyard when it's finished. And to your point on prevailing winds, you could have certain smells that you don't want to smell and certain smells that you do want to enjoy. And that could make a difference. There's some non-visual cues here that I think is important. And one of the reasons why when a professional comes out and they're just laying all this out for you, it's like those aha moments. And if you just get somebody coming out to make a sale, which we talked about a little bit, or if you have somebody that's trying to do a plan for you from 900 miles away that's never been on the site, how can they really do a great job? That's one of the reasons I don't travel and design or people are like, we can send you photographs and we can send you a video. We can measure everything. It's not the same as being there. I totally agree. And I have never, ever, even during COVID, not gone out to a job site. It was just not something I was interested in doing. I want to go to the site. I want to see it, experience, visit with people, talk with them, understand that entire site to your point, measure everything, know exactly where it's all out before I even try to even come close to doing anything. We're digging a pool today. And when I did the site analysis, the client came out and was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Why? He said, you're just sitting here. And I said, I'm trying to get the feel for everything. And there's a lot of layers there that, again, it's hard to understand a space until you sit in it and experience it and understand the sounds and what's the street noise like and can you hear the fountain over in the pond? Or you can't when what's the shade patterns and all those things. Which in traffic. Yeah. You have to feel the space, I think, is something. Yeah. All those things come into play. The other thing, which goes back to odor, is yards are small. Where are we storing the trash? We need to have a space for that. And a lot of times that's a side yard situation. If your prevailing wind comes up the side yard and you put the spa right there at the corner, Sometimes that might not be the most pleasant place to hang out in the evening. So anyway, but just on how you're planning on dealing with things like trash cans and 
vegetable gardens. I've had several clients I've gone out and they've had a vegetable garden planted. And I'm like, is that sacred? Is that staying there? And some of the times it's like, yes. And it's like, okay, just need to be aware where I have opportunity and where the vegetables need to go. A vegetable garden would be sacred to me at the moment. Yes. I've had some families that they had obviously grown up around large garden situations and they had quite a production in the backyard. So doing some serious food growing. Absolutely. So that's a cool thing. Well, there's just a ton of stuff to take care of. Additionally, on existing construction, oftentimes people don't understand that if you already have grass there, if you already have an irrigation system there, that's all got to get torn up. Oh, we do that for free. That's true. You did say that in EP2. And I like that because it's true. We have to put it back together again, but we do destroy it. So one thing we try not to destroy is your air conditioning units as we come through the primary access into your backyard. That's one thing that clients are like, why are you measuring that? Well, it's real important for me to understand where they're at so I can make sure I fit everything in here properly because I'm trying to fit in trash cans and sometimes a generator, storage, pool equipment. So the precision of measuring those things is pretty important. Plus, I've got to get the access and the equipment by everything. And sometimes we'll remove those. We talked about that earlier. But one thing that I was asking some other people, I sent an email out to some friends of mine and said, hey, is there some things in site analysis that I'm not thinking about here that might come up in other parts of the country? And I got one back and I was like, that is good. I would have never thought about that. He said basement windows. And I wouldn't have ever thought of that's something that you need to locate because I haven't had a basement since I was 12 years old, but I remember those windows. There are a lot of basements here? None, hardly any, which you think in tornado country, it would make a lot of sense to have a basement, but we don't have a frost line. So it's not an issue. So there's not hardly any basements at all. So as long as you've got the, so it's just something that that got brought up and I was like, that's a good one I, that I've never had to deal with in my career, but I'm certain in certain parts of the country, that's really important. Well, Texas seems to like going vertical. I've noticed this on the freeways and the overpasses and the two-story houses with the 1212 and 1214 roof pitches, which is fascinating to me as well, being from Idaho, where we did have a snow load to deal with on building houses. And I don't think you're getting enough snow or enough ice here that you're going to have a problem with the roof. So it just seems to be an architectural thing here. Just a thing. Just a thing. That's about my list of things that we've got to study in the backyard. Is there others that you can think of? No, I think that's covered pretty darn well. And like you, I take tons of measurements as well as hundreds of pictures. But I also drone almost every single job because it just gives me a really good feel when I'm doing my design work, especially on the 3D programs, because I can superimpose this lot into it to really get a good idea of what's going on. No, I think that is a great lineup of the stuff that a professional designer is going to ask you about, going to want to talk about, and going to want to look at and research before they ever put a pencil to the paper. So what I do is I take all that information and then I put it on a base plan. So I've got all these things denoted on there. So when I start my design aspects, then I can play off those items as needed. So I, I know exactly, oh, here's where the sewer cleanouts are. So I'm going to need to work around those or set up some way to access them down to the AC units and all the fun things. Although I've never worked around a basement window, so maybe someday. We had a basement in Phoenix. I grew up in a house with, in basement in Boise. And I think even in Spokane, I think we had a basement, but that different part of the country. I, I'm surprised there's not more basements here, specifically to your point about the tornadoes, because last year, it was in January, I think, it took out the Sam's Club or part of the Sam's Club a mile from the office. Yeah. But serious, there's tornadoes here. Most definitely. Yeah. With that, we'll move on and gather more information and go from there, right? Great. And I think it's probably time for the poolside perspectives vocabulary lesson. Okay. And I think the word today is going to be boring, Mike. Oh, what does that have to do with site analysis? No, and it doesn't have anything to do with you or I either. Okay, good. In the construction industry, when we say that we're going to do a boring, it's generally referred to a geotech report or a soils analysis. 
and the fact that we're going to bore, come out with a big drill and drill down in the ground and take a soil, I can't talk, take a soil sample, usually about 20 feet deep. And so by taking that boring and those soil samples, then they will test it to understand the sand or in clay levels or stone, what level we hit stone at. So then we can build something that's structurally sound. Also, that's something that generally an engineer is going to require for him to develop the proper designs is to have a soils report for him to come up with the proper structure. In a lot of the cases around here, that's so that's what a boring is to me. Anything to add? No, that's exactly what's going on. It's given historical record of the ground. And with that information, we can determine what the ground movement may or may not be. And then we can decide how that structure needs to be built. It's important. Yes, sir. Thank you for that explanation. <laughs> no problem. This show is all about helping you become a better buyer, a better pool owner, and hopefully you're going to find some insights into how to enjoy your pool even more so, how to help your friends, your family, anybody looking to buy a pool in the future or that want to remodel their backyard, add an outdoor fireplace, fire pit, add an outdoor kitchen area, add some shade cells or whatever else it is. We want to be that resource for you. And that's the end goal here. And we promise that there's going to be a ton of information. We'll try to go through it, you know, as relatively quickly, but also slow so people can understand. But the intent of the show, the reason Mike and I are doing this is because we just got a lot in our heads and we want to share it. So we hope to see you here every single week. Thanks for listening.